All right. Well, today we are going to take a look at what happens whenever we take someone at their word. And we're going to do that by looking at a story from the pages of John's gospel uh, that we call uh, as part of our New Testament. Um, we're going to look at what happens when somebody takes Jesus at their word. You know, I try to take people at their word. And a good example of this in my own life is whenever I traveled to Guatemala uh, in 2015 with a friend who's from Guatemala. Uh, we traveled around this country. We stayed with his family. And I had to take him at his word that the water that I was drinking wasn't going to make me sick, that the food that I was eating wasn't going to make me sick. Because here's the thing, whenever we would travel, he would say, no, we can't eat at that place. We have to eat over here because this one's safe. And I'm like, are you sure? Because it doesn't look safe. Uh, you know, we ate at places that whenever I went down to the health department to get my, my shots before I went to the country, they uh, said, avoid eating at places like this. Well, those are the places that we ate at. And the food was really good. But it helped that I had a, a local guide, somebody that knew the culture, somebody that knew the food. In fact, we were constantly taking people at their word as we traveled around their country. Uh, cell service isn't great in Guatemala, and so we traveled about 400 miles without a GPS uh, to National Park, just stopping along the road and asking people, hey, donde es Tikal? Where is Tikal National Park? And they'd you know, point and give us directions, and we'd keep going until we got to the next town and ask the same thing. So all along the way, we ended up taking people at their word, and I'm not alone in this. I know you guys take people at their word too. Whenever you get your vehicle fixed, you take the mechanic's word that they actually fixed your vehicle, that they changed the oil, that they rotated tires, that they did all the things that they said that they were going to do. You do this whenever you go out to eat. You rely on the, on the people in the kitchen to make sure that they cook the food to the proper temperature, that that chicken isn't going to make you sick. Um, we rely on people's word all the time. Amazon reviews. How many of you read the reviews on Amazon? Okay, I'm not alone. Uh, check reviews. We take people at their word for good reviews, but also for their bad reviews, uh, whether or not we're going to buy a product. Some of you take people at their word on Pinterest, on recipes. How many of you do that? Yeah, some hands in this service. There are some hands in the last service. If you're watching online, you're allowed to raise your hand too. Okay. So, yeah, we do this. We take people's at, the word, at their word whenever they write recipes that, you know, these are the proper ratios of, of spices. Uh, students, if you're in the room or you're watching online, you guys do this too. You take your teachers at their word when they say you need to do this and this and this. And if you do these things, then your life is going to be better, that you might get into the college of your dreams. And we also take people at their word whenever we go online, when we read, you know, Reddit threads, whenever we go on YouTube to watch videos on how to do anything, okay, any YouTube people out there, okay? I, I think every hand in this room should be up because I've talked to a lot of you, and you guys all pretty much say, I watched a YouTube video on how to do this, and so now I'm an expert. Uh, we do this also with TikTok videos, and we go to TikTok to learn how to do uh, certain things, and sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it doesn't go so well. Sometimes our Amazon reviews or Google reviews, they let us down. Sometimes that, that great product that we thought we were buying actually wasn't so great. We should have listened to more of those one-star reviews instead of like the thousand, you know, five-star reviews. That's just like, yeah, the product was great. It came on time. Well, that doesn't tell me how the product actually works. Um, or Google reviews, you know, people leaving reviews at restaurants. Oh, you've got to try this dish. And you try it, and it's like, eh, I don't know if I'd get that dish again or be a raving fan about it. Over the past several years, it seems like we were pretty good at taking people at their word when it came to politics, um, when it came to you know, people in the media, when it came to listening to the CDC. 
And sometimes things worked out well, but sometimes things didn't. We all believed those people. We didn't always believe the same thing. We chose which side to believe when it came to those issues. And a lot of times they turned out to be wrong. Many times, sometimes they turned out to be wrong. And when that happens, we get hurt. When that happens, whenever we take someone at their word and their word was wrong, our trust gets violated. We're less likely to trust them again when they say, hey, you should do this because I did it this way and it worked out for me. And so our trust gets violated. We end up becoming jaded and less likely to, to listen to anyone ever again. In fact, right now in our country, there's been a lot of studies come out on this recently about trust in institutions. So that can be businesses, corporations, it could be, you know, nonprofits, the government in general, but trust in institutions is at an all-time low right now. It's never been lower in our country, and we wonder sometimes why things are so divided whenever we can't trust anybody, when we can't take people at their word. And this is a problem not just outside the church, but also inside the church. The church is just as divided because it seems like we're not willing to trust one another anymore. We're not willing to trust um, leaders in the church. And I get it. I get it. It takes a lot of work to to take people at their word. And once that trust gets violated, it can sometimes take a lot of work to build that trust back up to get us to the point where we're willing to take somebody at their word. But it doesn't have to be this way. In fact, Jesus shows us a better way, and a man that we're going to look at in just a second shows us a better way to take people at their word. If you haven't been with us for the last several weeks, we're in the Gospel of John. Uh, if you brought a Bible or you have your mobile device, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John. The words will also be on this screen. Uh, but just to kind of recap where we've been and to just a brief summary, you can go to our website, hopecommunityonline.org, and find the full messages there. Um, but we started out by talking at, about this woman at a well. And this woman happened to be a Samaritan woman. She was a woman that the Jewish people, they hated. They had a mutual hatred for the Samaritans. And it was this woman that Jesus said that he had to go to Samaria to see. And he had an encounter with this woman. He invited her in to, to be one of his followers. And because of that, her life was changed. Jesus offered her a better gift, a better way of life. He offered her streams of living water that led to life of abundance, led to a life of peace, forgiveness. And as this, Jesus is talking to this woman, he sent his disciples into town to get some food. And the disciples, as he's finishing talking to this woman, come back out and they see what's going on. And they have some questions for Jesus, but they don't ask them because they're polite. And Jesus uses this opportunity to teach them. And he, he uses a harvest metaphor saying, look, the fields are white with harvest. They're ready. You guys should be ready because people are ready to enter into my kingdom. And then after, after he tells that, the people of the town come out to follow Jesus, to find out if this woman was telling the truth. And they discover that she is. And many in that town, we read, believed. And then Jesus continues on. And he, he continues on his journey going from Jerusalem down in the south to Cana up north. And it says that, uh, before we, our passage today, it says that a, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. Jesus was going home, and it likely wasn't going to go well for him. Because, as he said, a prophet is without honor. That is, people know him. They're familiar with him. They grew up with Jesus. Maybe they were friends with Jesus. They knew his parents. They knew his siblings. And so, for them, Jesus was just some ordinary person. And so we read this, uh, continuing in verse 46 that he, Jesus, went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. 
John includes this little detail that Jesus was returning back to the place where he had performed his very first miracle. The miracle where he turned water into wine at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. And John had just revealed to us that Jesus was the savior of the world because the people of Samaria said that Jesus was the savior of the world. And so here we have the savior of the world heading back to where he did his first miracle. And in that town, there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. So Capernaum is another town in that region, uh, a couple hours walk from Cana all the way down to Capernaum. And Jesus, the savior of the world, was going there to snatch death, or snatch death away from, or sorry, to snatch life away from the brink of death. And along the way, he met this, this royal official. This royal official wasn't a Roman centurion, as some of us might believe. He didn't actually work directly for the Roman government, but instead he worked for kind of like a sub-government, for one of the governors, for King Herod. Uh, King Herod was um, the king of this region, the region of Galilee, um, and he was, uh, he worked for him. He was a man of means. He likely had lots of wealth because this, quite possibly, he was one of the tax collectors or he oversaw the tax collectors. And so he wasn't poor. He had power. He had authority. He had influence. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went down to him and he pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. So this man had heard that there was this miracle worker that was coming. I mean, he'd heard about the, the miracle at Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine and he, you know, was at the end of his rope. It's very likely that because he was a man of means that he tried all these other ways of getting his son healed. He called the best physicians. He, he got the right medicine. He did everything right. And yet his son continued to get worse. His son was now at the, at the brink of death, we read. And it says that he pleaded with him. He pleaded with him. That is, he, he pleaded over and over and over again to, with Jesus to come down and heal his son. And one of the reasons why he was so desperate for him to heal his son is because in this culture, sons were of great value to a family. Whenever fathers talked about their family, they talked about how many sons they had. They didn't talk about how many daughters I, they had. It wasn't because that they hated their sons, but their sons or their daughters. They had, but their sons had a special, uh, I guess, standing in society. You see, the sons were the ones that would carry the family name be the ones that would carry the family heritage. They would be the ones that would end up caring for the, the rest of the family after the father uh, passed away, being the provider, being the protector. And so he came to Jesus at the end of his wits, pleading with him to come down and heal his son. You see, he had heard that this guy was a miracle worker, and so now he wanted him to show up in his house and heal his son to see a miracle. But Jesus said, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. To which, as we read that, we're like, come on, Jesus. This guy's son is about to die, and that's how you respond. I mean, how many of you are probably thinking that if you read this for the first time? It's like, geez, that's a little harsh, don't you think? But here Jesus is referring back to another section where he, was, he said that a prophet is without honor. That is, the people in that town, they don't honor him because they know him too well. That region, they, they, they know the family. Jesus was a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. Maybe they built houses for these people, and they're like, come on, he's just a carpenter. He's nothing more than that. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And it's very likely that there was a crowd following this guy, and perhaps some of them were at the, 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 um, 
the wedding in Canaan and Galilee when Jesus turned water into wine. And they were looking for another sign because it's like, great, that guy's back. That Jesus, we, we know Jesus, but Jesus has started to do some signs. Let me see some more of those. In fact, later on when Jesus feeds the 5,000, they, uh, which is a miracle that Jesus did where he took a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish, and he multiplied them to feed this large crowd of people. That still wasn't enough for this group of people to believe. They had seen one of Jesus' most amazing miracles, feeding 5,000 people with just a few pieces of food. But yet it wasn't enough for them to believe. Because they they viewed Jesus just as a miracle worker and not as the savior of the world that the Samaritans had identified. Continuing on, Jesus said, "Sir, or, Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. And so this man, he commands Jesus. He stops pleading. He's like, I'm getting nowhere. So I'm going to command this man because I have the authority, I have the power to make this man come down and heal my son before my boy dies. Adding a new uh, little detail to who this son is, that perhaps this is the firstborn son. The son that would actually carry the family name, the one that would be truly responsible for the family, that would carry um, the responsibility for the, for the women in the family. And Jesus, being commanded by this guy, in turn goes and commands this person. He says, go, Jesus told him, your son will live. Go because your son will live. And the man departed. He believed what Jesus said, to him, and he departed. See, this man ended up obeying the word of Jesus. He ended up taking Jesus at his word. He didn't get the miracle that he was looking for, but yet he was willing to trust, to go back home and see if his son was actually healed. He said, go for your son lives, because it turned out that this man wasn't just interested in just seeing miracles, but he was actually interested in And more than that, see, Jesus didn't come to be a miracle worker, but to be the savior of the world, to be our savior. And so often we treat Jesus just like he's simply a miracle worker, sometimes like he's just a genie. You know, oftentimes we'll we'll pray things like, Jesus, just heal my mom or just heal my uncle, just heal my, my sibling, and then I'll do whatever. I'll go to church every Sunday or we pray, Jesus, just let me pass the exam and then I'll do whatever. Jesus, just let me get the job or just let me pass the interview and then I'll do whatever. And usually it's, I'll go to church every Sunday, I'll read my Bible, I'll pray more, I'll do something. But you guys know, and I know, and Jesus knows that that kind of stuff isn't enough. That kind of stuff, it's, it's cool, but it doesn't inspire a real faith. You see, D- Jesus doesn't want us just to believe in him, but he wants us to follow him. That is to, to pattern our lives after him, to put our full weight, to trust in him. Because believing is not immediately seeing. And here we have this man believing without actually seeing the miracle. He believed the word of Jesus. And when he believed, he stopped his pleading. He went home. He wasn't like the other Galileans who were just simply looking for a miracle. This man proved that. Continuing on, on, we read, that while he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that his boy was alive. He asked them what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. And then the father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, 
your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was also the first or the second sign that Jesus performed after he came from Judea into Galilee. So the first sign that Jesus did wasn't enough to get these people to believe, but the second sign. Now people were starting to understand that Jesus was actually the savior of the world. Because we have this man obeying the word of Jesus and seeing the fruit of that. He saw his son go from death to life. He saw his family transformed as they also believed. It says that many, that his whole household, oops, let me go back, that he and his whole household believed. He had believed Jesus before enough to, to trust, to go away, but once his son was healed, he truly believed. He believed that Jesus was the Savior of the world and that he could bring things back to life again. He trusted Jesus. John, later on, writing in his gospel, says that Jesus came that we might believe, and by believing in his name, we might have life. And that's exactly what this man discovered. He discovered new life by believing, by trusting in Jesus. He trusted in Jesus, and his son found new life. Not just him, but his entire household. His decision to trust in Jesus had a big impact. His decision to take Jesus at his word had a big impact. It had a lasting impact. You see, earlier this man believed, but now he really believed. And things ended up working out pretty good for this man because he took Jesus at his word. A lot of scholars believe that this man's name was Chusa, that his wife was Joanna, and the gospel writer Luke records that Joanna was one of the women that supported Jesus' ministry financially, that she traveled around with him They had the means, they were wealthy, and so they could now go and support Jesus in his ministry and have a bigger impact because this man was willing to take Jesus at his word. His his life turned around. It ended up working in his favor. His son was healed, and we don't know what happened to his son. It's not recorded for us, but we know that he wasn't the same. And the same thing happened for me when I went to Guatemala. But things worked out pretty good for me when I was taking my friend at his word until one day they didn't work out so well. We traveled to a little town uh, called Chiquimula and we went to an open air market there and there was this candy that my friend was really excited about that he's like, okay, you have to try this. So we bought the candy and I tried it. I wasn't a huge fan of it. I like coconut, it was a coconut candy, but it just wasn't quite right. I'll just say that. And it made me sick. Of all the things that I ate in Guatemala, from people, you know, making food and handling money uh, and then cooking it over a fire, you know, that was kind of scary and just like no refrigeration. It's like, okay, that, okay, I guess it's over a fire. That should be okay. I'm fine from that. But it was this food. And maybe that's been your experience. Things were going well when you took people at their word until it wasn't. But whenever we take Jesus at his word, he will never let us down. He will never let us down. So why should we take Jesus at his word? Because Jesus will never let you down. Jesus will never let us down. And so that's my challenge for us today is this. What if we just simply took Jesus at his word? 
what if we took Jesus at his word to do the thing that he's calling us to do, that we know that we need to do, but we're like, I don't know, Jesus. I know, I know you're calling me to do that, but I just need one more sign. Just show me one more thing. Just, you know, right now in this moment, just let a blue car drive past, and then I'll believe, and then I'll, you know, go out and do the thing that you're calling me to do. Or we say things like, you know, Jesus, I know that you want me to love that person, or I know you want me to forgive that person, but come on. Really? Do you know how hard that is? I mean, really, Jesus, can, can you really want me, expect me to, to trust that person again, to, to forgive that person when all that they've done to me? But Jesus will never let us down. And some of you might be wondering, well, what is the word of Jesus? You're saying take Jesus at his word, but I don't even know what the word of Jesus is because Jesus, he doesn't speak to me. So how do I know what the word of Jesus is? Well, some of the words of Jesus are love your neighbor as yourself. Forgive one another. Love your enemy. Love each other as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Bless and do not curse. Jesus promised, never will I leave you. He he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly or have it to overflowing or have it life to the full. Jesus said, be unified. He prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stop it. They will not prevail against it. Those are some of the words of Jesus. And in that, that list, it's not a complete list because we could spend hours here going through a complete list. But in that list, there are some commands. You know, love one another. Forgive one another. Bless and do not curse. Be unified. And so what would happen if we took Jesus at those words? If just for a second, if, if those of you in the room or watching online who call yourself a follower of Jesus, if we just simply did that, if we just simply took those commands of Jesus seriously, if we just started to do them. And sometimes I think we don't do them because we think we know better. And we think, well, forgiveness, love, it's kind of soft, really. I mean, I would rather just stiff arm people instead because, you know, you don't know what's at stake. You know, whenever uh, my side has to win or whenever I have to be right, we end up forgetting the ways of Jesus to love. The way of Jesus that says that my kingdom is not of this world, that my power is made perfect in weakness, that love is made perfect in sacrificing yourself for the benefit of other people. See, in the passage today, this man took Jesus at his word, and because he took Jesus at his word, his life was different. He'd experienced uh, Jesus as the savior of the world and the savior of his whole family and the savior of his son. And maybe some of you have never experienced the life-giving power that comes from trusting in Jesus, from following Jesus. You know who Jesus is. You show up to church. You go through the motions. You think Jesus was just a nice guy, a miracle worker, but it stops there. But Jesus wants to be so much more than that. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. He doesn't want people just to believe in him, but he wants people to follow him, to pattern their life after him. Because in patterning our lives after him and putting our weight on Jesus, it leads to life and life more abundantly. You see, Jesus is the Savior of the world that can heal a man's son without even having to be there. And so what else could Jesus do 
without ever having to be even physically present. And think about that for a second. What could Jesus do in your life without having to, to actually be there? And the crazy thing is that Jesus is here. He is present. He is present by the power of spirit and by the power of his church. You know, Jesus said that the, the church is his body. It is his physical manifestation here on the earth. That's how Jesus has chosen to work to reveal himself to the world today is through people like you and me. People with our flaws, people that make terrible decisions. Jesus knew all of that ahead of time, yet Jesus said, I am willing to reveal myself through a group of people like that because my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Jesus choosing you and me desires to reveal himself to the world. And I know right now the church has, especially in the West and America, has lots of flaws. Seems like every single week there's a new scandal coming out in the news. It's popular right now to, to hate on the church, even from within. But as your pastor, I will never give up on the church because Jesus said that the church is his body. It is his bride. It is his physical manifestation here on the earth. And so I'm willing to take Jesus at his word. So what would happen if we simply took Jesus at his word? What would happen if we took Jesus at his word like the man in our story today, in our passage from today, that pleaded with Jesus and then was willing to trust, put his full weight, not really knowing 100% if his son was going to better, but stepping out and trusting, believing. What would happen if you took Jesus at his word? What would happen in your family? What would happen at work in that relationship that's strained if you simply took Jesus at his word? What would happen in our world of social media where we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people? What would happen in this world of social media where Jesus commands us to consider others better than ourselves? What would happen if we simply took Jesus at his word because he wants us to take as him at his word because he is the word of God made flesh that took up residence among a group of people and took up residence among us. He was willing to die a, a sinner's death on a cross and was raised three days later for you and I. So what would happen if we took Jesus at his word? 